you doing, man? That was yep. Yep. That was That's very good. A, that famous quote from from this episode. Yep. Sniffles. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's it's like when you know when you've got a cold and you get like a nasal spray or something, and it's like you squirt up your nose, and then for about thirty seconds you can breathe amazingly well, better than you ever have in your entire life. Yeah. And you're getting so much oxygen into your body, and it feels amazing. That's what I imagine um, the family of blood smell like all the time. Absolutely. They're just like, and they just suck all the all the scents in the world up their nose. Yep, it's like they they they, ki- they kill trees with every sniff. That their <coughs> noses are that clear, you know. Like mm, mm. Just so much, so much oxygen's getting in there. Um, <laughs> Look at you breathing in all that oxygen, you big fuck. <laughs> Um, yeah, but we are talking about uh, Doctor Who, Season 3, Episode 9. Don't look at Netflix, because it'll say it's Episode 8, The Lion Bastards. And uh, this episode is called Human Nature, which is a really good title for an episode. Um, and it was written by uh, Paul Cornell. Fun fact, he wrote a book um, about this. And uh, it was adapted for for this season of Doctor Who, so isn't that great? Imagine being a fan of the show, and writing a book, fan mm. fiction, and then it being that good that it gets fucking adapted for the screen. What a buzz! What a buzz! That would be very much a buzz, very buzzing, buzzworthy, yeah. buzz, buzzerific. Yeah, look, we we better go onto that, Lewis, and submit it to the the BBC. <laughs> BBC. Office. Yes, my episode of Doctor Who, buzzerific. Buzzerific. Well, um, yep, it's about bees. Yep. Um, they uh, have a big hive, and the hive just keeps getting bigger, and then it envelops the entire Earth, and the Doctor has to punch a big bee in the face. <gasps> wow. And you could say that, <laughs> and you can put in some environmental stuff where the Doctor talks mm-hmm. directly to the camera about how it works. <laughs> I could, yeah, I could. I could have the Doctor at the end of the episode go, bees are essential for biodiversity in a, in a, in a native bio... bio uh, yeah, I could have all that. Did you ever see that weird fourth wall break that William Hartnell did? No. <laughs> like back in the sixties, the BBC were so fucking angry with him, right? It was it was during an, a a story called the Daleks Master Plan, right? Which okay. is the longest story in Doctor Who history. It's over oh. like five hours long, right? Mm. And it's so confusing. They stop the plot, right? to go on this weird sort of Christmas episode because Christmas was coming up and at the end of the episode William Hartnell looks into the camera and is like and have a good Christmas one and all <laughs> like that and the BBC were so raging <laughs> them was like, why the fuck are you talking to the camera yeah and I think I, I don't know if there was any other fourth but apart from like Peter Capaldi doing it and uh, what was it Google it Mm. Yes, the bootstrap paradox. Google it. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, but but who trivia? I I mentioned that the the whole bootstrap paradox thing. I know we're seasons ahead of where where we are now. Yeah. Um, but I mentioned this to Chloe, and I I gave her that example of Beethoven's music, and she made the point that it doesn't really make any sense because somebody else still could have written those 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 notes on a piece of paper and put it together the the original example i think that was given to to first come up with the bootstrap paradox was somebody that goes back in time 
and explains the theory of relativity to Albert Einstein. And then he goes, oh, okay, and writes it in a paper and publishes it, and he, he's known as a, this amazing scientist. The reason that works is because nobody has thought of um, the theory of relativity at that point. And so yeah. Einstein is supposed to come up with the information. But it's very possible that anybody could have written some of Beethoven's music. It's very possible that it could have just been half a dozen music notes fell over on a page and became a piece of music. It's, it's, it there's a much lower... Well, well it, don't get me wrong, it's massively improbable. But there's a much <laughs> lower barrier of entry against like, this complex mathematical theory. So yeah. I'm not entirely convinced by that Peter Capaldi speech. Well, I mean, fair enough. But doesn't, like, like sort of any art come from the artist's own like, experience? I imagine that like, a lot of Beethoven songs mm-hmm. would come from his sort of unique childhood, a unique sort of experience on on life and stuff. Um, mm, mm. But That's maybe... why he famously said at the start of every piece, it's Beethoven, not Beethoven, you fuck. That's yeah. why famously he said that. Beethoven. Be- <laughs> the Beatles. And to bring it all full circle, yep. Beethoven, you take the hoven and the tea off, bees, whoa. Oh, bees, a beehive that has encircled the globe. Perfect. It's like a Dyson sphere for the planet, but it's just a big beehive. God damn. I mean, we're five minutes in and we haven't talked anything. I haven't even got through the credits yet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This episode was directed by Charles Palmer and was uh, starring David Tennant, Free Madgeman, Jessica Hines, Harry Lloyd, Rebecca Staten, and Thomas Brody Stangster, who plays Ferb in Phineas and Ferb. Does he really? Yes. Good for him. Yeah, very good. Very good. Isn't that... Isn't... Hang on. (laughs) In Phineas and Ferb, isn't that... That's set in the US, isn't it? So does he do a US accent of some type? Or does he just carry on his... Inexplicably, um, Phineas and Ferb's dad is English. And so Ferb is English. But Phineas is American. I see. Which one is Phineas and which one is Ferb? Phineas Who has the is, triangular head? That's Phineas. Yeah, Ferb is the okay. one with the, the sort of weird Tetris shape head. <laughs> so the um, Tetris one is, is Thomas Brody Sangster? That's right, yeah. I see. Oh, and now I know. And who go. plays the platypus? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, ah, the platypus. I, I used to fucking love Phin- Phineas and Ferb. Um, it was like, so funny and so smart mm. for like a kid's show. And, like, the stuff with, like, Dr. Diffenschmutz and like, his tragic backstories is that he's like, yes, it all began in Game of Stump when neither of my parents showed up for my birth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I digress. Do you have an opening statement for this amazing episode? <laughs> I do episode? have an opening statement. Um, this is perhaps my favourite two-parter in, in the whole show of all time wow. ever. Made better by David Tennant in his amazing performance, of course, because yes. he's just radiant in everything he does. Um, I really like this episode. I really like the next episode. The end. Very much so. Very much so. Um, an excellent start to a two-part about the dangers of patriotism and nationalism and how they lead to warfare and bloodshed. Ooh, bloodshed. Yeah. That's pull- what another oh. word for an abattoir, interestingly. Bloodshed. Yes, true. <laughs> People only care about bloodshed when it's their blood (laughs) and their shed. Yeah, stay away from my shed. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) 
You told um, me Danny and I compulsively watch far too much H Bomber Guy. Yeah, very much so. Very much oh, so. Oh god. Um, Have you played Pathologic or Pathologic Two? I played Pathologic Two and Is it good? It's the opening um is very good. It drags you right in. <laughs> and, and then it gets shit. And it's <laughs> I mean, H Bomber Guy's right, it's so hard and boring and like it's I think it like he said it's probably a game that's better to discuss rather than play yeah like yeah. it's just that sort of game but look, the visuals are very good they're much better mm. than the first um but it's only got one story and the story is like 16 hours long when it normally has three so that they're still making the other two um mm. but jesus christ we're going in all directions um it's all right i'm gonna find a way to talk about doom in a bit <laughs> <laughs> um do you have any creeper room statements, questions? Uh, creeper room statements and questions. I had one, and then I started thinking about Doom. For fuck's sake! God you, damn. <laughs> you you do one, and then I'll do one. Okay. Um, I like how the family of blood is like a critique of like the archetype of the traditional family that was very mm-hmm. sort of prevalent at, at the start of the uh, the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's is it the nuclear family? That's what it's called, isn't it? The sort yes. Of, mum and dad and son and daughter it's like it's a sort of horrible twisted bastardization of that mm. and traditional values sort of clashing and leading to a, a massive conflict like the first world war mm. it, it, mm. they fit very well with um almost like a sort of horrible mirror being showed up to the way a lot of, sort of european countries were like behaving and yeah. their sort of like arrogance about yeah we need war and we need sort of uh, a good a good battle to to shake your head off you know like mm, just to mm. sort of uh, get on with life and mm. but the time of like nineteen thirteen most of the European powers were like itching for a war you know they'd mm. like spend all this money and and resources on these huge weapons that had never been seen before and it's it's just very sort of. <laughs> It's 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 extra horrific if you've got this alien family that's laughing in your face like haha you think you're so superior you're you're all gonna be you know in the mud in a year mm, you know mm. it's it's very it's very horrific from that so yeah no I, I I completely agree it's um I hadn't thought of it that way how the the family sort of represent a sort of twisted bastardized version of the of the nuclear family but I suppose they they really sort of do it's um. The the sort of oh I always forget their fucking names because it's so arbitrary. Um, but, son son of mine, daughter yeah. of mine, like what? Yeah, but yeah the um the son he sort of is this um you can sort of see underneath all the you know murder you can sort of see um it's this uh, uh sort of wild streak of like um well teenage boys are gonna go out there and boys will be boys and they'll yes. chop a tree down and whoa. Uh, and then it's just, oh, let's just turn that up to 11, and he's a bit fucked. And then, um, do yeah. you know what I mean? You can sort of see that keeping coming. And um, it's the the one that does get me is is um daughter of mine. It's like, oh, she's sweet, and she's innocent, and she's she's perfectly lovely. And then, oh, no, it turns out she's actually a Trojan horse, sort of. Yeah. It's, um, it's it's the terrifying thing, which was also done amazingly. I think I've, I've 100% talked about this before, but um, the uh, Stephen King does a lot of... Um, children um are 
horrifying or <laughs> gates, gateways to another universe or yeah. some kind of horror thing. That's what he does very well. Um, and it, the the uh, it's almost like a carbon copy of, of Daughter of Mine in... Well, I suppose it's not because it was written 30 years before. But it's... Um, it's um, daughter, in the forest around Salem's Lot, there's a car passing through and um, these people are tempted out of their car um, and, and sort of turned into vampires mysteriously. And then somebody goes to rescue them from the snow and the ice that's caused their car to stop. And um, this little girl is like, it's okay, I'm, I'm lost and I'm scared in the woods and I've lost my teddy bear and stuff. Can you come and help me? And yeah. he goes closer and it's actual. Actually, she's a big old vampire. Ah, and yeah. it's all big and scary. Um, Stephen King says it much better than I do, but <laughs> that's sort of the, um, the, the, the gist that I was, I was trying to get at. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. They do sort of present a weird, twisted version of, um, of traditional family values. But, interestingly, so do the Adams family. It yes. was supposed to be this exact opposite of like a nuclear American family living in the suburbs and all the rest of it. Um, and my favourite thing about that is that it includes a husband that is madly in love with his wife and um, a wife that is madly in love with her husband and doesn't find him annoying. And I yes. don't know, it's when you watch something like uh, Everybody Loves Raymond and you're like, everybody in this family hates each other and it's just <laughs> yeah. the worst thing in the world to watch. And then you watch The Adams Family and it's really sweet Yes. To watch them just be like, uh, they they really love each other and they have a happy, loving home life, and that's the opposite of of this this mythologized mythologized traditional family. Yeah, it's um it's horrible, but it's also quite sweet to look at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I think that's why it sort of works, like um sort of presenting sort of sci-fi families being ruthless and monstrous and just you know killing people for sport. And yet they have a unique sort of cohesion that is just not found within human families because we're all sort of, you know, we have our own interests and stuff, but they, mm. like, there's this sort of weird idea that, I f- like, that I, I, you have a family and that's your unit and that's who you belong mm. to. And it's mm. like, it's, it's as if it's like an organism almost. And mm. that's not the way human beings work. Human beings mm. have their own interests and their own needs you know, outside of their family. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it, it feels like a very intense sort of tribalism, doesn't it? It's yeah, sort of a tribalism so. that's foisted upon you from outside. Yeah. Which is quite strange, really, because when you when you take a step back and look at tribalism, a lot of it is sort of um, circumstance of, oh, I happen to be born in this part of the country, so I must live and die by this obscure football team or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then in this sort of, family unit type sense it's it's a tribalism that's foisted on you of well come on he is they are your family you should be nice to them you know they, they love you really yeah, well, well, that, you know, yeah do you know what i mean it's a strange tribalism that you're sort of indoctrinated into but yeah. sorry i interrupted you you carry on no 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 it's no I, I completely agree with you it's like because they're your family it's like you feel like guilt when when you sort of take a step back and say well you may be my family but that's not how i'm I, I I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna put up being treated the way you're treating me, you know, and mm. I think if you have a sort of horrible family that has more cohesion than yours does, that's an extra sort of level of horror. Mm. It's like, do you need to be sort of soulless and joyless to sort of have perfect like, cohesion? Because they don't have needs other than to be immortal and to conquer, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, which is like. A lot, a lot of sort of 
propaganda back then was is was very much like that you know for for king and country and for your family it's like your needs are irrelevant and Mm. it's just you know the empire or your family or your king it's just these symbolic ideas that are made flesh laughing at you Mm. it's it's Mm. And because the family That's aren't even really flesh. Good point. Yeah, they, see, this is I've watched this episode about a dozen times, and and yeah, um, sorry, carry on. Yeah, uh, yeah, the family aren't even flesh either. They're sort of yeah. I don't even know what they are. They're, they're... I got the vibe they were kind of a green goo. I don't know yeah. where I got that idea from, but uh, I imagined there was sort of some green goop uh, within little, a human body. Yeah, they're in little pods at the beginning. Like he takes yeah. this thing out and he's like. And here is mother of mine, and it's just this little pod, and this gas comes out and just sort of possesses. Like, so it's not even you can't even like the ideas of like fighting for family and country. It's like you can't just take a sledgehammer to that because it's mm. people that enforce it, and mm. the ideas are the ideas possess people. If you know what I mean, which is Jesus. <laughs> This episode runs yeah, deep yeah. in ways that I didn't even ima- I couldn't even imagine. Oh, yeah, Jesus, that's, that's that's sort of um that's a lot of what it is. Is like it's a lot of the Doctor's sensibilities, is um sort of this this loving and kindness and community and stuff, and they put into this this uh, boarding school for boys and stuff where they're trained to use machine guns. Yeah, um, it is it, sort of forced to to to, to sort of analyze that and think. Well, this is a little community with care and all the rest of it, but mm. on the same level. It's sort of not. It's very insular on the same way of literally gunning down the scarecrows as they approach the school and all the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting sort of parallel between the brutality of the school and the brutality of the family. It's like both are equally brutal. I'm, obviously, the family's worse, but this school mm. teaches boys to fight, to kill mm. for an idea, for a king, for these incorporeal things that they've never sort of touched or will touch and just mm. are sort of possessed bodies for the will of these ideas. But the difference is that the family are honest about their sort of brutality, whereas, you know, the, the school has to sort of dress it up with, um, yes, we... we we're doing this for the good of the the good of Britain, the good of uh, like talking about the the dark continent and stuff like just like this this I really know, imperial yeah. racism, and it's dressed up with so many different things. But the family is honest and saying, "Yeah, we just want to conquer shit, and uh, we we like uh, hunting people for sport, and and we want to <laughs> do it for for the rest of time. That's yeah. that's what we Have want." Have you ever seen that movie, The Predator, with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Because we want to be the predator from yeah, that film, exactly. Please. You know, it's really, um, I think, I think it was a quote from, uh, Rebecca Staten who plays Jenny in this Mm. and she's like, just think though, in a few years time, boys like that will be running the country. You know, it's like, it's still like that today. Yeah, it is. With, with places like Eton and places like that, you know, just these incredibly narrow schools that raise these boys from birth to be the leaders of of our country that and it's just... so horrific yeah it, it really is that's um, one of the reasons that um I, I think i've always thought this and i've always said this is that uh, the, the the prime minister or even just ministers sh- should be people that 
have had experience in the real world. It's all well and yes. good to have a career politician in, in a role. And yes, they will know how to govern. But the entire point of having a system where you can regularly change things is that you need to have people with different opinions in office. That's yeah. why it's important for diversity to have representation is because it's important to have these different opinions at the table and it's important to have all of the different opinions at the table to have a chance at the, at the seat, at the head of the table. Yeah. So that's one of my great things that i dislike about it yeah yeah very much so um i mean you can imagine if this episode was made today oh god the the, the bbc and their left-wing agenda too oh too much politics too much you know um and yet this is one of the most favored episodes of mm. the entire show it's it's really interesting how oh, a yeah. lot a lot of these episodes are very political and you know, obviously, I, some of the it's not so much the politics of the new season; it's just the the shitty um, execu- <laughs> execution. Do you remember that episode Kerblam, where it was? Yes, like, I do. Oh, okay. So it's a critique of like huge, massive corporations like Amazon, and then it was actually no it was the selfish greedy worker who who was to yeah, blame when the company yeah. was fight it's like you know that's something that did, did annoy me about that episode is because i i went into it thinking oh okay it's an indictment of, of corporate greed and then it was instead of it being a workers rise up and control the sort of uh, maybe they should form into some kind of an organization um they could have a name like onion or i i can't imagine what that would be called but <laughs> Oi. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought, oh yeah, it's going to be an indictment of, of corporate greed. But no, it was just, uh, it was the filthy worker that's doing it all over again, honestly. The greedy, selfish worker. You know, we, we want uh, a living wage. Uh, dirty bastard. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff that, that, so it makes this episode or episodes memorable happens in the next episode yes so, but you know where, where you get the excellent performance of like david tennant sort of battling his human side um but we can i'm sure we'll be able to talk about that uh next mm. time um, um yeah just quickly i wanted to touch on um the guns that the family of blood use yes it um it just looks weird I think yeah. it's um, it's a very I think it's an Earth thing, and you know, I've got zero of zero proof or science to back this up. But so just go with me. Yeah. But um, I think it's an Earth thing because nature doesn't produce squares and it doesn't produce rectangles. It doesn't produce right angles really. So I think it's a very human thing that when we make something and we want to identify it as being something that we've made, it must be sort of square and and flat yes. and all the rest of it, which I think is why smartphones are the shape they are, computers are the shape they are, things like that. Um, so I think that's what I found interesting about the family of Blood's guns is they are curved and they're circular and they have the um. I might be completely making this up. I I <laughs> let me have a quickly Google a photo, but I think they have sort of um. It reminds me of sort of scales or like um, when you see a, a palm tree that's grown very, very tall and it has like these sort of rings that you can see on the outside of the trunk. Yeah. I remember thinking it looked, they look sort of more organic in a very strange way. Yeah. Yes, yes, that, yeah, I've, I've got them. <laughs> it's sort <laughs> of like a seashell, interestingly. Now, I've got, I've Googled family of blood guns and it's the first sort of result. And it is like a seashell that's um, sort of got bits of metal augmentations and stuff like that. 
They also yes. have um, there's a picture just just to the side over here. Of, I'm, I'm pointing on, a, on an audio medium, medium. but um, but uh, yeah, the, the the sort of the shell sort of glows and they do look organic and they look grown and I find that to be sort of a very interesting thing that's quite rare. Really, yes. it's it's you don't see it very much. It's um, a lot of the time sort of firearms and stuff in media always follow the same conventions of looking very, well, precisely as you would expect, really, which is sort of a shame. I think you can make a lot of interesting world-building-y type things by just making things like a gun or a, or even smaller things like a pen. Yes. Make them look a bit interesting or different, and that's a tiny bit of world-building that I really enjoy. Um, and I really enjoyed it in, in this episode, which is why I wanted to bring it up. It's only a very, very minute detail, um, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, very much so. Um, another thing I liked about the family of blood, um, is how low maintenance they are, like in terms of like CGI. Um, like, well, yeah, sorry. A lot of their um, what what did you think I said? Sorry, I just because you said low maintenance, I was going to make a quip about your long relationship with the family of blood. Was this when you were with father of mine or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he likes his dinner, um, cold, and flavorless you know so he's he's easy he's easy to please um no but <laughs> i just gave him ice soup every single night it's like it's like water with no tomatoes in it he drinks water that's it um i like how i like how a lot of their creepiness and scariness can be accomplished through the actor's performance rather than mm. through cgi or stuff like, i mean you get some stuff you get the laser and the uh, ghost vapor thing going over your face but a lot of it has mm. to do with just the performance especially harry lloyd who plays mm. son of mine like it would seem cartoonish in any other setting but that sort of mm. wide-eyed look with his, his mm. lips slanted and the neck tilts it's it's very sort of it's very very scary <laughs> um yeah it's um it's something we've talked about before on 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 the podcast is that um Doctor Who is at its best when it's a bit campy and a bit weird. Yeah, exactly. That, you can afford to be a bit weird with Doctor Who, which is something that a lot of other shows don't have. Like, can you imagine if Netflix released some kind of sci-fi drama and there was somebody acting like that in it? People would, would immediately bin it off. But Doctor Who, you can sort of afford to be a bit weird and you can afford to be a bit tongue-in-cheek with a lot of the performances, and it's it's quite lovely to see. Absolutely. Um, I think I might be out of notes, bud. I think I am also out of notes as well. Um, um, just quickly running through the trivia on um, on, the, on the IMDb page because I quite enjoy doing that now. I, I did it once about four or five podcasts ago, and now I do it quite regularly. Yeah. Um, there's nothing very interesting here. It's all just sort of uh, Easter eggs and stuff. One thing I do quickly want to say though is because the scarecrows are introduced in this episode, and I think they're fucking horrifying. Yeah, when they I was a kid, are. they scared the life out of me. I hate them. They're petrifying in yep. every way absolutely terrifying that, genuinely really scary that's what's so great about like, horror and because like it's things that we take for granted that we think are safe mm, that are mm. weaponized against us you know like children for example like if, if you see a child your instinct is going to be to help them you mm, know to, mm. to it's not be afraid of them shooting you with a <laughs> alien gun scarecrows yeah. The same sort of deal, you know, they're meant to sort of scare off crows and rather than scaring you to death and possessing you for an alien, it's like it's yeah, yeah. It's things that we know to be familiar, sort of used and uh, bastardized to make us mm. feel 
wretched you know that's yeah that's the great it, thing it's, about it I think that's the core theme of the episode, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. Like when they shoot or stab the scarecrows, and they're just like, it's just straw all the way through. It's just straw. And that's really terrifying. The thought that we don't even know what makes these things go. They're just coming. It's it's chilling. And it is, like you say, it's the horror of... It's expectation subversion. It's like a good joke, but it's also like horror (laughs) in a very strange way. It's a really horrible joke. It's like, you know... um, I mean, we get that's that's in the next episode, so we can mm. we can get more in detail with that. But it's good stuff all round. Well done, Paul. Indeed. Well done, Senor yes. Cornell. Um, amazing episode. <laughs> yes, Senor Cornell. Yes, Senor. Cor- oh Jesus, I can't. Cornell. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Do you have a closing statement? Um. I I do have a closing statement. A very good episode with a nice little cliffhanger. I'm not. Not such a fan of cliffhangers in general, but I do enjoy this one because you sort of the doctor is perplexed, and so are you. So as it kind of matches up quite nicely, so that everybody's confused. Yeah. I think that makes for a better cliffhanger than just "Oh, what's coming next week?" Do you yeah, know what I mean? Very much so. Um, my closing statement is: Just shut up! Stop talking! Season to sis is a good girl. <laughs> that's, that's my closing. Very good. What a sc- that was so scary. Like just he doesn't even move his head and all that just pours out <laughs> you know. Um but yeah, that's me. I'm done. I give up. Um I'm done. I finished <laughs> Do we have sh- sh- some shilling to do? Oh we always have shilling to do, oh. don't we? Go on, hit me with some shills. Oh god damn. I you know, I thought we were gonna be um morally consistent this week <laughs> um uh we all have link trees and lewis's link tree is linktr.ee slash lewis underscore brindley mines is slash ohiram and the podcast is slash shouting into the void there you will find our socials our youtube our instagram our facebook go have a look give us a follow give us a like give us a subscribe leave a comment all that good stuff and stick around for more amazing stuff from us um <laughs> Stick around for more amazing stuff from us guys. Yeah. Thanks. That was the top ten hits for today. We'll see you tomorrow. Woo! That was uh, we... very radio DJ, the voice you did. So I was just, I just possessed. So. I was possessed by the spirit of a terrible DJ. The family of DJs. Um, <laughs> uh, we also have a PayPal donate button. So anything you can spare, anything at all, would be greatly appreciated. We also have Patreon, and we want to take the opportunity, as we do every single week, to thank our wonderful, wonderful patrons. Uh, Chloe. Thank you. Darius. Thank you. Peter. Thank you. Aditya. Thank you. Natalie. Thank you. And Doogie. Thank you. One and all, you allow us to keep on making this show, and we love making this show, so thank you for allowing us to do such a thing. Um, If you would like to hear more of Danny's thoughts on Pathologic, um, then you can send him a message on Discord and say, Danny, what are your thoughts on Pathologic? And undoubtedly, he will respond with several hours' worth of a personal selfie video that he takes in his bathroom with a bathrobe on. It's very clear he was about to take a shower, but he decided against it because he wanted to send you an hour and a half long video where he personally described at great length a game set in the Russian steppe. Of course, of course. Um, so, yeah, stick around for that. Uh, we also have merch <laughs> on Teespring and Redbubble. Uh, we sell tote bags, jumpers, stickers, socks, mugs, all sorts of stuff. Get over there, get yourself something nice because... 
you know, you deserve it. You, you do. You workhorse. Um, <laughs> I think we're, gonna, I we're building up to an insult. You deserve it, you. And I was just like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say, bastard? You, you no, deserve it, you no. bastard. You workhorse. Um, <laughs> and uh, last but certainly not least, we are partnered with an amazing company called Number 12 Crochet Avenue. And Lewis is going to say some wonderful things about them, all of which are true. Indeed I am. Number 12 Crochet Avenue is a wonderful company run by my wonderful wife in which they crochet and they're very, very good at it. And if you would like to keep up to date with all the cool things that they're doing and bless your Instagram feed with some cool-ass content, you can go to at number 12 Crochet Avenue on Instagram and you can give them a cheeky follow and a cheeky like and all the cheeky, all the other things as well. And um, yeah, give it a look. Treat yourself. You treat, workhorse. Yes, treat yourself. Um. <laughs> treat yourself. I love that. That from... Um, Parks and Rec. It's so good. Yes, it's very funny. Um, Indeed. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so as you know, the next episode is uh, The Family of Blood, and we'll finish off this two-parter. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you, hearing you, smelling you. Um, <laughs> don't look under your bed tonight. Uh, but yeah, so... Jesus. <laughs> that sounds like a threat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a promise. Um, yeah, so thanks... <laughs> So thanks again, and we will see you next time. Indeed we will. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.